Experiential marketing can create lasting impressions and brand loyalty. Raise your pinkies because today we're going to show you how experiential marketing can grow your business. Presented by Advertise Mint. The Duke of Digital will guide you through the rapidly changing landscape of digital marketing, social media, and how to grow your business online. To submit a question for the show, text 323-821-2044 or visit dukeofdigital.com. If you need an expert to fix your ads, the friendly team at Advertise Mint is ready to help. Visit AdvertiseMint, that's M-I-N-T, dot com or call 844-236-4686 to grow your business. Here's your host, Brian Miet. All right, I'm super excited today because we have with us today on the podcast, Peter Abraham, founder of Abraham Studio. Uh, it is great to have you here, Peter. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Good yeah. to see you. I, now, I'm really excited because you have a tremendous background in experiential marketing. You've worked with Lululemon, Nike, the Los Angeles Marathon. Um, you even did a TED Talk on the power of shared physical experience. Like, so this is something that is in your DNA at this point in time. Um, welcome to the show. Did I miss anything? Tell me a little bit more no, about that, you. No, that's it. You know, I started uh, after college really with an obsession in, about storytelling and filmmaking. So I made television commercials for 10 or 15 years then kind of morphed into marketing and I created my own running event. And that is what really turned me on to experiential marketing that was acquired by the LA Marathon. And um, that was about 12 years ago. And since then, I've worked with all kinds of different brands with in experiential marketing and all kinds of marketing, honestly, and really trying to unify. So it's not just experiential on an island. So it's tied to digital and what and the product and what the brand stands for overall. Now, just to make sure we get this out of the way before we begin, how do people find you? Um, and and be able to contact you if they want to work with you after hearing this. So several ways they can reach me. Uh, my website is abrhm.com. Um, I'm at Peter Abraham on Twitter, and I'm LinkedIn, uh, you know, at Peter Abraham. Nice, nice. Okay, so before we begin, um, I want to run through a couple of uh, is this true? I, I searched the internet for you before we started, and I found a couple of, of rumors. Uh, you Tell me if these are true. The first one, is it true you were a stand-in for George Michael on his famous Faith music video? I was, in fact. So, <clears throat> you know, right out of college, like I mentioned, I worked as a production assistant and then a producer in music videos and television commercials. And when I was a PA, my friend, uh, my roommate, Tim and I, we had a little apartment in Venice. right after we graduated from UCLA. Um, we would work on these music videos I and mean, we'd make like maybe $75 a day to work like 16 hours. Um, getting coffee for producers. I mean, complete gopher unloading the truck. Yep. And on George Michael's video, I spent some time as a PA and as a stand-in. And I remember him, we would wear his those mirrored glasses, yep. you know, against that white background. And uh, my friend Tim was standing in also for him. And George, as he walks in to like take the glasses and get in for the actual shot, he picks up the glasses from Tim. He goes, oh, God, like they're dirty. Somebody else <laughs> wore them, you know, and he was really a piece of work. Anyway, rest in peace. But that was classic. So it is true. 
I love it. It is true. And I also, in those, uh, in that year, I worked as a production assistant on one of Prince's films, Sign of the Times. And I flew to New York as a 23-year-old with the first release print of the film. Like, these are cans of 35-millimeter yeah, film, yeah. like 20 pounds each, and went to the Ziegfeld Theater in Manhattan, like a 1,500-seat, one-screen theater. And it was Prince and I, that's it, nobody else in a 1,500-seat theater sitting side by side watching the first print of the film. And he hated all the sound mixing. And I kept having to run all the way up to the projection booth and back and he'd say no i don't like that the dolby's all wrong and i'd run all the way back I'm like, can you flip the switch and try that and run down how's that he's no i hate it i sound awful and anyway the whole two hours of running up and down like that it was amazing I, I, um <laughs> that's really funny um uh, okay next rumor uh, is it true or not? Like our our where our office is at, we're located in the heart of Hollywood, a block from you know where the the Academy Awards are filmed, a lot of movie premieres, Jimmy Kimmel Live. Is it true that you have filmed a motorcycle riding on top of our office building here? Yeah. So the last time I was in this building was 23 years ago, and I had just started a production company with a friend of mine to make action sports films. We had a uh, right out of the gate sponsorship from like Oakley and Reebok to make a motocross film. And uh, my partner, the director, wanted to shoot a whole urban thing with a motorcycle in the middle of the city. He's like, wouldn't it be great if we ended up on the top of like a skyscraper looking over the edge on a motorcycle? And I had a friend um, in commercial real estate who knew the owner of this building. And the owner said, oh yeah, just that's fine. They could do whatever they want. And we brought a motocross bike up to the roof in the freight elevator and built a ramp and he rode it right up to the edge and looked over with what was then a helmet cam pre GoPro. It was so dangerous and I, I can't believe we even did that. Now I would never think about that without permits and safety. Yeah, sure, and sure. We just bootlegged it. and. Uh, you know, it's still on YouTube if you look up Full Power Trip movie. <laughs> I love it. I, love it. I mean, it's an 11-story building. I mean, it's pretty high. Yeah. I just made, I, I haven't even been to the roof yet. I feel like I get in trouble if I bring in, like, an office chair from the, the parking garage. Or like, yeah. like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, man. Yeah. Well, now I know I can bring in a motorcycle. I'm like, yeah. hey, it's been done before. That was the days of, like, MTV Punked, if you remember yeah. that kind of stuff. And uh, everything we did was just bootlegged and crazy and no permits and borderline dangerous. And so I'm glad we emerged with no serious injuries. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. So last question. Is it true? Have you climbed Mount McKinley, which I think is called Denali? Yeah, is that right? they I, the name? I did around that same time in the late nineties, my friends, Jim and Kurt and I, uh, we were climbing a lot all around, uh, the Western United States. We're really into mountain climbing and rock climbing. So we went up to climb Mount McKinley in Alaska, the three of us together, and um, that's a whole undertaking. I mean, we got dropped off on the glacier with yep. 29 days worth of food. They fly you in from Talkeetna. You got to wait at the airport for like three days till they have a break in the weather. Then they fly you into about 8,000 feet. And you've got 100 pounds of stuff. So 50 in the sled, 50 on your back. And how long is it from like start to finish? It's not like a hike in a day or two days. No, it's I mean, a... you could probably do it in a week, except you got to acclimatize the altitude because yeah. it's 20,000 feet. So maybe that makes it like two weeks. And then you got to allow for weather because like you could get up to 17,000 feet, like ready to go the next day. And a massive storm comes in with 100 mile an hour winds and you're pinned. You're like not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere for maybe a week. And uh, we kept kind of racing the weather because it looked like it was going to get bad. And we made it in 12 days up and down. And uh, it was an amazing experience. I'm so glad I did that. It's like a once in a lifetime. Uh, so thing. It, that's it's over 20,000 feet. Is yeah. that right? So, I mean, the highest I've ever done is 
Mount Whitney, which is 14,000. Yeah. Um, I mean, we live at sea level. So, I mean, when I did that, I felt like I was going to die. Like my, I'm like, oh, I can't breathe, but you generally do that in, you know, one to two days. Right. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, I don't do so well at altitude. Yeah. Like I just drive to Mammoth and I get a headache the next day. <laughs> so it, it, you know, I was fine up till about 17,000 feet. And then, it, you know, I remember waking up like on our summit day and I, I it felt like the worst hangover I'd ever had in yeah. my life, the headache and the, and I remember laying there kind of on the fence, like, God, should I even go or not? And I, my two friends were like, Hey, when the weather's good, you got to be ready to go. I'm like, that's it. I'm doing it. Give me my boots. And we, and we went for it. Yeah. It's just crazy to think. I mean, like Mount Whitney is half of Mount Everest and, you know, Denali or McKinley is, you know, two thirds of Mount Everest. Yeah. To be like, when you get up there and you're like, man, I'm feeling miserable. You're only, you know, 60% away. Correct. I, I can't imagine Mount being Everest at 29,000 yeah. feet with no, with no oxygen. And there's, you know, a dozen yeah. people or so have done that. I can't even imagine. Uh, it, it just blows my mind. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to get into the topic of today, uh, which is experiential marketing um, and how people can use it to grow their business. I know it's something that a lot of major brands do. They generally have budgets for it. Um, and I wanted to kind of run through this topic so that listeners have an understanding of what it is, how it can work for them, um, and what options they have to be able to do it with their own business. So, you know, walk us through... What is experiential marketing? Can you give us kind of a high level overview of what it is and how it works? Well, the way I think of experiential marketing is really just a real life, in real life engagement. It could be a live event. It could be a trade show booth. It could be a community meetup somewhere. It's just like with real people live together. And I think now in the age of, you know, digital is so prevalent. It's everywhere in our lives all the time. It's in our pocket, on our phone. A lot of people actually, as we know, feel isolated because of digital. They're, everybody's sort of like re has retreated to yeah. their phones or their computers. I think because of that, um, in real life things, experiential is more important than ever because it gives us a way to connect. We're all still humans. We all still want human contact. And so the more pervasive digital gets, I think the more important experiential is. It doesn't mean to the exclusion of digital, but I think it's a really important component not only for brands, but in life. Yeah, yeah. What, um, it's so true. I think, you know, as as things are changing with the digital and people ret not necessarily retreat, but they're just, they're acclimatized to their phone. Um, that when there is something that gets them where they can connect on a human experience, one-to-one -one with other people, I think it the value to people goes up exponentially when they're like, I can have those real-world experiences or you know, almost on the flip side, they can share those experiences on social media that other people don't have the ability to talk about because it's so kind of exclusive or limited time, um, which kind of brings me to my next question. You know, what are some of the core components uh, that lead up to experiential marketing success? Like if you think about the best uh, ones that you've worked on, what were the ingredients that they had to make them so successful? Well, that's a great question. And the most important thing is to have an actual strategy and like understand what your brand stands for so that anything you do, whether it's experiential or Instagram or anything or retail kind of feels like it's coming from the same place. And so I, I believe every brand needs to have a point of view rather than try and be every, all things to all people. So let me give you an example. Um, I was hired once to be kind of part of a strategy group that would help to create some experiential marketing for Taco Bell. And, you know, 
we so we had all kinds of maybe there were eight of us in the room, very experienced people from different kind of experiences and points of view that were really interesting, smart people. But the problem is, is what it was like a blue sky assignment, like this huge whiteboard. And what is what's Taco Bell's point of view? What does Taco Bell stand for? Like cheap food, I guess. I, they don't really have. Um, they don't have a hook or a, a purpose. And so our, our brainstorming was just all over the map. I know we're going to, we're going to do something on college campuses. No, no, no. Let's do something at a music festival. Like, no, 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 I know let's do a sports thing. And it was like, and we really, in four hours, we got nowhere and we came up with no good ideas. And so if you can imagine, um, you know, I've also done some work on Red Bull. Like Red Bull is very like they're really focused on like action yeah. sports. They do live events, um, you know, and they amplify them with good content. Like it's way easier to ideate for Red Bull, like because you kind of know what the Red Bull point of view is and their angle, and they got a thing. You can you can get into a box on your strategy and like okay, let's focus on this. And so the the first thing is for brands to have a point of view. I love it. How important are things like you know, making the event unique or creative, uh, you know, does it have to, I mean, I think generally one of the, the core components of, of experiential marketing would be that it involves people, that there's that human touch or that human element. Um, and is there any importance to like it being limited, like a limited time or a scarcity factor? Um, because a lot of times, you know, when these events happen, they're in a physical place where there's people that may be around, but it, it can't necessarily impact the entire world, right? It, it impacts the people who are there at that moment in time. Yeah, so I, I believe, um, you know, I like to start from the place of how can we be helpful for people and help them solve a problem, whatever that is. So like, it could be social. So for instance, like um, you look at Red Bull, Red Bull is being helpful by providing great entertainment, whether they come in and sponsor, sponsor the live broadcast of a music festival or, um, you know, the Red Bull Rampage bicycle event, it's entertaining. That solves a problem for people. They want great entertainment. It might be super informational. Like you think of, you know, you going out and speaking at events. That's a kind of experiment, experiential live marketing. You're being helpful to people. And so I like, I like to come from the place of how can we make somebody's day or week better? There are many ways to do that. And what's the on-brand way yeah. to do that? Red Bull's way is different from your way, but the point is, you're being helpful in some fashion. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting because you know I we're in Hollywood, so I drive you know to work every day, and you know there's a lot of um, studios, right? So they're always doing what they view as big experiential marketing. I remember when you know it came out, uh, you know they built the exact same replica of of a house in a parking lot like three blocks from here, um, and I'm not a fan of scary movies at all. But every time I walk, go by, it's like oh man. Yeah, and there would be a line of people that were like, we want to walk through it. Um, and they were able to generate, you know, something that was meaningful where people can be a part of the movie or in the movie. I remember when uh, the most recent Godzilla came out, they took the, the Cinerama Dome um, and they made it look like Godzilla was coming out of the top of it, like he was breaking through. And then they shine or took a huge spotlight and shown it up or sh shined it, shown it, shown it shot it up through his mouth so it looked like he was shooting a big you know beam into the sky and it was just i mean that would be more of necessarily a stunt whereas the first one the it house that's where you could walk through and experience it 
The Godzilla one was more of just uh, a creative billboard, more of like a stunt that's there for a limited period of time. You know, what's the difference between those, you know, between creating an experiential marketing event and a stunt? I, uh, again, I, I kind of uh, favor more of an experiential marketing event in the way you've described it than a stunt. I think a stunt is a one-off and doesn't necessarily have lasting value and is not necessarily helpful to people. I think there are stunts have, that have succeeded. Do you remember the ice bucket challenge? Sure. That raised like a hundred million for ALS, but that which great, awesome. But I'll, I'll bet you the next year they raised like 500, they were back down to 500,000 cause it, it didn't have lasting value necessarily. And so, um, again, I, I, I prefer, um, you know, generally, something that creates in-person stuff. Now, I will say there are certain stunts that are so good and so entertaining. So if you think of Red Bull, the guy that jumped out of the... the Felix? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Baumgartner, who, who was like mm -hmm. at 80,000 feet in, on the edge of space and jumped out with a parachute and had 8 million live streams. That was a stunt, but that was so good and so um, captivating, I think, that... Um, it became like a, it was almost like a Super Bowl or a shared yeah. live event. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's so fascinating to think about that because there, I do think one of the core components of that, uh, of experiential marketing is the ability to bring people into it. Um, and even like the Ice Bucket Challenge is a great example because even though it was something that lived for time, people had the ability to get involved with that. Yeah. So I, I do actually like that. And that was actually an on, online kind of a hybrid yeah. where anyone could be a part of it wherever they were at on That's planet right. Earth, yeah. as opposed to generally experiential marketing is um, something that would be uh, you know a, a core event. Yeah. Um, I know with, with TikTok, you know, we've talked about that on the show a couple of times. A lot of times people have the ability to engage uh, with challenges or you know music songs or things like that where they can kind of go you know back in uh i mean is is that is it i mean because part of like you talk about the the felix example i mean he was up in space i mean this was a big deal and i mean i feel like when that happened i mean it was number one on all the news channels massive. and everyone was watching but i mean it's something that can't be replicated right i mean it's it's something that doesn't happen every day you know, and that kind of leads me into the next question, which is budgets, right? Like if you're a brand, if you're a marketing person and you're wanting to step into this, um, I don't know what the final bill was on, you know, the Red Bull doing that, but there's no way that it was inexpensive. Um, no. It was something they had to put and there was, there had to be a strategy, huge teams, everything that went into that. Um, you know, the outcome was fantastic. You know, it, do they know, you know, it's not necessarily guaranteed that it's going to be great when they launch it. No, and and I mean, let's let's Red Bull is trying hundreds of things all around the world all year in the hopes that one thing that year or two things turn into like a Felix thing. They're experimenting massively all the time, so you can't. It's not like that was the one thing they did. That they did a yeah. hundred things, and one of them blew up. And you can't just shortcut to the one thing that works. I mean, um, you know, like comparison with Nike would be. They had uh, Iliud Kipchoge try and break two hours in the marathon, which he yeah. did more recently, um, you know, with sponsored by Ineos. But Nike did the first one breaking two. That was a very, you know, pretty interesting thing to watch, pretty captivating. And that was absolutely a Nike kind of marketing stunt, um, but an in real life thing. And um, so anyway, I mean, what should brands expect? 
you know, in terms of the marketing mix and where are their advertising, you know, they, what they've got for budgets, you know, what would you say would be the expectation for what should be going into experiential marketing? I mean, you talk about brands like Red Bull, it feels like they're going extremely heavy into create experiences and moments and things that are entertaining that people can watch or be a part of that they've never seen before. And I love the Red Bull stuff. It's amazing how much of their their videos I've watched. And I feel like every time I turn around, there's 10 new ones that I didn't know ever existed before. Right. What? I mean, you know, Red Bull has gone all in on that strategy for decades, okay. right? Have you ever seen a Red Bull ad? They've done a couple little animated things, but basically there's no traditional advertising, zero, none. They have athletes and all these live events going on. That's pretty much it. And they've done that for decades and they've built an expertise. You could even say that Red Bull is a media company yeah. with a drink brand attached. It's, you know, they have the Red Bull yep. media house that runs a lot of that. So they've, they've gotten really good at that. I think um, there's no one secret formula for a brand like, hey, 30% of your marketing budget should go into experiential. You can't really say that. And, and a brand's needs change from when it's a startup, when they have no budget for anything, to when they get to medium size, they get large. There are different objectives they're trying to achieve. I believe, you know, the best marketing, as you know, is about creating a 360 degree marketing experience. Like you kind of have to have it all going on, starting with the product. Like if your product isn't good, none of the great marketing yep. matters, let's be honest. And that that comes from a guy who, you know, I spent like 15 years making television commercials for like, I mean, trying to sell burgers to teenagers. I mean, I worked on everything, including some really bad products. And in the old days, you could do a really slick ad campaign for something when there was only television, like Little Caesars Pizza I used to work a lot on. And it would sell. <laughs> pizza, pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would sell crazy amounts of product. Those days are gone. The internet has created amount of, an amount of transparency yeah. where like Amazon reviews are way more important than any ad could be for some products. Yeah. And so I think you got to have the full 360 starting with the product. And I think you got to look at every area of your marketing and, and you got to scale that. So even, you know, when I advise uh, small startups with two or three people, I'm like, you know, what's your database set up? What's your Facebook ad? Do you have a Facebook ad strategy? Um, Google search? Is there a live event thing? Can you create content that brings value to people? Do you have a blog? How's your website look? All those things I think have to work together. And it's very difficult as a, you know, person who kind of runs marketing campaigns all the time. I think of myself almost like a conductor of an orchestra and you have all these things. Whoa, whoa, the horns are too loud. Slow it down. You know, you got to really kind of get it all to work together. And I don't think there's a formula, but I think as it relates to experiential, it, the, the digital experiential combo when executed properly is very powerful. Here's an example. I worked on an Airbnb project a few years ago where we were going to um, create a whole kind of stunt around the um, uh, Oscars and put some people in a house that looked like a, dressed like a movie. And I was like, wait, hold on here. Let's just think about this. Before we do this, how, how is this going to get, because we've got one couple that's going to spend one night in a house that looks like a movie. How are we going to get that out? nobody really had an answer. I'm like, you guys, let's, let's, we, we, it's, you're not going to get a lot of Instagramming from two people. So we better have a video crew documenting it. We better have that on Facebook and YouTube. Do we have a media spend for that? Where's the media department? Let's talk to them about that. So we had to like really make sure we had amplification for the whole thing. The, the thing ended up kind of going away before it started. But the point is if you, certain things like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody sees it, oh, did it really happen? Yes. You got to amplify it. Oh, it's so true. I, I, and the, 
I've seen a lot of, I mean, I guess I've worked in entertainment for a while and I've been in the process of, we have the greatest idea ever. We're going to do this and this and you know, all these steps. They see it be executed, big budgets are spent. And there are times that I'll see the end result. And I'm like, man, there was like 50 people there. Right. Like, that's horrible. And, and right. at that point, you know, usually it's on to the next thing and you know, people weren't necessarily watching it, but I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Um, yes. And so I think that that is one element that you always want to make sure you have the ability to amplify it on the end. Let me go back really quick, back to budgets. How do you, you know, as marketing professionals or business owners out there, how do you quantify the return on investment? The ROI, you know, you're spending money into doing these things. I know, you know, in the ad business, we get a lot of dollars and cents, like that's it. Like, let's look at the numbers and go through it. What's the ROI on the ad spend? Um, and there's, for sure, there's other benefits that come into play, but a lot of times because the tracking metrics are so good to like, if I give, you know, you get 10,000 and you get 10,000. Oh, look at that. Here's the winner within three days. We know who is really doing better for our company, which isn't true at all in terms of experiential marketing. And I feel like a lot of times it's a way, at least for me, the ones that I've gone to or experienced, I'm like, man, I feel like they're my friend. Like Red Bull, I'm like, yeah, watch your stuff. If there's a new Red Bull video that pops up, they have done this for many, many years. So I'm like, man, I find their content interesting and unique and be like, man, I've never seen someone do this before. Hang gliding through cliffs or, you know, doing different, you know, cliff diving events, like things that I don't know anything about, but I'm like, I'd watch this, like, this is crazy. So, um, you know, how do you be able to me measure the actual results from um, an event? It's really difficult and there's no obvious metric. I think the digital world, you know, one, I, I think problem with digital and honestly, a lot of the kind of advertising you work on as effective as it is in a lot of ways, it's kind of moved us into this kind of transactional space where like, wait, what's the ROI? What are the click? What's the click through rate? Like you need like numbers and data to back up your marketing. And I, there is a place for that for sure. But when it comes to a lot of different, more kind of brand marketing, um, there aren't obvious numbers like like Red Bulls, like guy jumping out of the spaceship, eight million views. What was the ROI on that? And that cost them millions and millions of dollars. Like, did that sell cans of Red Bull? Who knows? Yeah. Right. And that you can't measure that. And I think but one of the most important things you just said is like, hey, Red Bull has earned my trust because they put out consistently good events and content all the time. And they have for years. So I trust them. And so just you, you can't measure things like trust and like you're when you're like yeah this event these guys are my friends because I, I i like what they're doing it's hard to measure that but that is a super important thing and i and i think you have to look at these things kind of more like year to year and not week to week to campaign to campaign you can't measure it but there is no substitute for earning trust and doing the right thing for your customers and being helpful and bringing value to your customers. And that is just that is, that's playing the long game. And now, you know, um, I've worked for so many brands and, and a lot of brands, everything is managed day to day, week to week. And you're, yep. it's really hard to play the long game and build trust over time. And a lot of brands just won't commit the resources and effort to like, no, we're just gonna put out great content for our fans and we're gonna build relationships with them. Yep. And in the long run, that'll serve us. And I wish more brands would do that. Yeah, you know, it's crazy because we're now approaching, uh, we might be past 
thousands of companies that we've worked with. Um, and I would say of the ones that we've worked with, the ones that are the most successful generally have a fantastic product and they're passionate about having the best product. And then number two, they are passionate about connecting with their customers and finding ways to provide value and anything. If there's a problem, boom, we're going to fix it right now. And we need to make it right. And let, that needs to be restructured where there's, it surprises me how many other businesses are like, oh, it doesn't matter. We made our money, money first, customers come second. Um, and just, it's hard because I guess I see it across so many different businesses that when, and I don't even know if I could quantify it because there's you know different reports and everything, but I just see it as a general rule of thumb happen again and again, which is the people that, the companies that care about people and put people first in what they're doing surprisingly do very, very well with their marketing and get the results that they want to out of their, their paid ads. I totally agree with that. And I think you're making a great point. There's no substitute for taking the customer point of view always and advocating for customers and having their back. And you know how complicated it is yep. in this era that, you know, you have things like, I don't know, vaping products that have become really, you know, it's, they're dangerous and people want, they got to trust you and you have to earn that trust. And so when I work with brands, large and small, I always like turn it around and take the customer point of view, like any campaign or product feature we're working on. It's always like, wait, how is that better for the customer? Yeah. And I think if you take that point of view, it's not always the easy point of view because sometimes it's more work, it's more money. But I think when you're on the side of the customer, ultimately they're going to trust you and they're going to love you. Yeah, it's so true. Um, what, you know, when it comes to, you know, doing the events, a lot of times they have limited space, uh, you know, it's, it's in a local area, um, meaning if it's in Times Square, you know, that only the people in Times Square can see and access it. What are your strategies for, you know, taking something and amplifying it, which is generally what I see. I think a lot of the experiential marketings, I usually see in the after videos, uh, you know, in the marketing world, I, I see them show up or, you know, in reports or, kind of write-ups on cool things that other people are doing. You know, what? how does that come into play in when you're setting up an event to also have the film crew, the video at the end, the promotion of the video? How, you know, what's your kind of strategy for put, putting those into place? Well, I think there are so many tools at our disposal that are not that expensive to amplify an event, let's say. So, um, and I think it starts with, First of all, are you creating a good event that people want to share with their friends? Even if it's for five people, are they going to want to tell their friends about the event and your product or whatever you are doing? Number two, are you giving them ways to share on their own, you know, um, different kinds of uh, geofencing, you know, uh, social uh, links, um, photographic moments? I mean, one thing that I see, you know, I worked for, uh, many years in the running business. And I, one thing I saw events consistently missing on where people would come to do a marathon, whether it's New York, LA, or a smaller running event, give, and they want to commemorate that with a photo. Like everybody wants to post that to their, you know, Instagram or Facebook, everybody. And events would not set up like just the most basic little photo op for them. For God's sakes, like you could build that for a couple hundred dollars, put a little podium and a sign, something. And so you got to give people a way to share what they're doing. And then third, like, you know, when you bring like, let's say 
you know, a video crew, a social media person on your behalf who's just dedicated. They're just posting to social, updating your website, whatever on the day. And then use all the, you know, YouTube is like, I, I mean, it's just, you know, it's such a, uh, a resource that so many brands are just not using. And it's not that hard to bring a skilled uh, video crew who can tell stories and make a video and edit it quickly and get it up fast. Like these things are not that complicated. Bring a great photographer, get those things uploaded to, you know, uh, Instagram, tag people, yep, yep. you know, work with all your brand partners. Like if, you, if you're like, let's say a running event, we'd have all different brands there. We have meetings up front with Lululemon and Gatorade and whoever, like, okay, what's our social point of view? What are we going to be sharing? Who's, who's got the photos? Like just get everybody aligned around it and do some planning yeah. so that then you can, you know, expand. I remember back in MBA school when they, you know, going through the marketing and advertising books where they would talk about with them which is an acronym for what's in it for me, right? And this was a long time ago. And I'm like, man, that is probably one of the biggest elements that comes into play now. Because in any experience, what people want to do is share what it means to, not only they want it to, to mean something to them, but now they want to share what it means to them. So the things like, when you talk about like at the running events where you've got a, a photo op or cool props or um, things that you can take photos with and share with other people, a lot of times the lines for those are way more than the lines for check-in or food or anywhere else. Like people want to take those photos and yeah. they'll wait in line for a long time. Yeah. I took my daughter to the Austin city limits music festival a few years okay, ago yep. in Austin, Texas. And they had just this simple, like cool, big photo frame. Like it looked like a frame from a painting kind of ornate antique, but like 10 feet tall Got it. and you could stand in the middle of it and get a photo overlooking the whole venue. Literally, it was a half an hour wait in line, this very orderly line. Yeah. You could you could stand right next to it and take a photo in five seconds. But no, people were waiting yep. 30 minutes to get a photo in this thing. And that really had an impact on me. And, you know, I think of all this kind of stuff we're talking about um, from a brand point of view as story doing versus storytelling. Like do cool things and then amplify it. And one place I see it a lot lately is in direct-to-consumer businesses. I've spent a lot of time working with direct-to-consumer brands like from Lululemon to um, Canyon Bikes right now. I'm doing a lot of work with. And the brands that have really um, gone full-on into creating their own brick-and-mortar retail, like if you look at Warby Parker. Warby Parker has almost 120 retail stores in the United States, and they're wildly successful. In malls, they're often the second highest grossing per square foot space after an Apple, Apple store. Yeah. Um, you know, Bonobos, Away Luggage, Dollar Shave Club. And these brands that start their own brick and mortar becomes like an amplifier for them. And it becomes a credibility enhancer. I was talking to my friend, Greg Perlot, who was the head of marketing at Sonos. And when he got to Sonos, they had no brick and mortar. And Greg said, you know, you guys are sort of in the music business now. You need some music credibility because you do you're in the you're a, how people play music so he opened their first um kind of experiential space right down the street here on la brea and beverly called the sono studio and they had a really beautiful designed listening room in there but also a whole concert venue where bands would come in like three nights a week they'd have a bar and he said what he learned from that is it's not like every customer in the world, they're sold globally, is going to come to that retail space. But they know because they see it on social media or they hear about it, they know that you have it. And just the fact that they know you have that increases your credibility yeah. in their eyes. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting insight. They went on to build them in New York and London, and they were very successful for them.
what are your thoughts on scaling? Uh, I mean, once you have, you know, you talked a little bit there about retail, but I mean, if you're setting up an experiential event, it's successful, people have a good response to it. You know, is that something that always should be scaled? We're like, let's do a, a 10 city tour or a hundred city tour or get a two full-time, a bunch of full-time crews that are going around and doing this in other areas or is one kind of good enough and then you just you know get the videos out there for people to be able to share in that moment while they watch it as in terms of entertainment well i think you got to take it on a case-by-case -case basis every brand is in a different position um but i think generally if you feel like it works and again the roi is hard but if you feel like an event let's say you you're a smaller brand and you're starting out with some kind of live in-person activation and you you just feel like that was successful the the word of mouth was positive you got the story out you felt like wow that that felt good to us we built relationships with current and potential customers could we expand that? And I think it is worth looking at ways to expand it. It might be geographically like, hey, we tried it here in LA. Let's try it in New York and Chicago. It might be, well, that was a small one. Let's do a bigger one. It might be, wow, we need more in-person staff for that. We got to hire some more people in order to ramp up, or we have to hire an agency to help us manage that in different places. So there's no one answer to that question but if you feel like it's working it is probably worth expanding at some level yeah yeah how what would be your advice for small businesses so or, or entrepreneurs people that you know have 10 or less employees uh that are trying to grow trying to get their their companies up if they wanted to begin you know getting into the experiential marketing or creating experience around their company and and impacting others what advice would you have for them? I mean, look, it depends on the business, but there are all kinds of little ways to do that from um, meetups, uh, inviting, like inviting, let's say you get a bunch of uh, customers together and you invite somebody like you, Brian Meert in to talk to them about, you know, digital marketing or Facebook marketing. Okay. That's helpful. That costs very little. It provides value, provides value. Trade show booths are another one. You know, I've worked with so many brands on different kind of trade show or expo booths. And what happens is like, I was just at a big uh, cycling event in Colorado called SBT gravel, which was an incredible event in steamboat. And they had a little expo there. And I was so disappointed that most of the brands that showed up and some of these are pretty good sized international brands, they would like just put up a 10 by 10 booth, put out a card, you know, a folding table oh. and throw some product on. I'm like, you guys are so not imagined. It would take no money, just some arts and crafts and thinking to be more creative, invite people in, create some kind of um, way to connect people with each other or educate them, amplify that with some content. Like, and, and so I, I think there's a herd mentality where people just go to the lowest common denominator. And I'm, I'm consistently underwhelmed at trade shows, how little creativity and like thought thoughtfulness is put into activations and that kind of stuff doesn't really cost anymore. Yeah. It's just about like putting some thought into yeah, it. Yeah, they had, they had a booth. I remember seeing at one of the shows where it was a huge, like over oversized treadmill, like a massive one. And it was like, can you keep up at the two hour pace right. of the, the guy that was Ryan running. Hall. Yeah. yeah, and it was so much fun to watch people right. get on and be like, yeah, I can do it. And then a minute later, boom, they fall off the end. Yeah, that was ASICs at the time. Yeah. And those were my friends, uh, Shannon Scott and Bill Logi, who built that activation. See, I loved it. It's a great it idea. It was a, a great idea. It, it is core with the audience. It rings true. It's a challenge. So people always love a good challenge. Uh, 
in terms of how, you know, do something that relates with the business that you're in and be like, can you do this? Here's a challenge for you. And it was just fun because they had all sorts of people and people that look like the, you know, big bodybuilder guys and they get on there and after a couple of minutes, whoop, you know, they fall right off the end of the foam pit. Uh, and it was just fun to watch, to be like, man, I, I'm finding this entertaining and I don't know how long I would last. And you know, it was just a fun way to bring in the experience of running and me and the, the you know, world champion when it comes to, to running a marathon. Great idea. Yeah. Um, any final words as we kind of come to a close? Do you have any, you know, words of wisdom uh, for any other business owners in regards to experiential marketing or just business in general that you would like to leave as kind of some, some final words of wisdom? I think the most important thing, like we started talking about, is for brands that not only have a point of view, but like really come, put a stake in the ground, come up with a mission statement and tell us what you stand for and who you are. It's always better for brands to appeal to a small group of people and be super relevant for them than try and be all things to all people. And um, I see it as a problem with both large brands and small that they won't quite commit to uh, having a point of view. And I just think that is so important. Like you look at a brand like Patagonia, which has gone all in on like outdoor gear and sustainability. If you're into those things, like that's your brand. There's no, yeah. there's not even a close second in that space. And that is what has made that brand so enduring and have, you know, they, they got a, they've got a community that'll lay down in front of a train for them. And it's because they've gone all in on one point of view. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's wonderful advice. It's great to have you here, Peter. Great. Thanks for having me, Brian. You got it. Thank you for listening to the Duke of Digital podcast with Brian Meert. Want to network with other business owners? Join our exclusive group at facebook.com slash groups slash Duke of Digital. Fancy the Duke? Leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app and you could be mentioned on the show. The Duke of Digital was produced by Advertise Mint and recorded in Hollywood, California. All rights reserved.